Worship, we're delighted that you are here. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you are here. If you are visiting with us today, we consider you our guest. Find that connection card at the bottom of your worship guide. Fill that out at the close of our service. It'll be a way to pass that in. It's our way of getting to know you better. It is a great day to sing in the house of the Lord. This is amazing grace of the Lord. Let's stand, First Baptist, and sing together.
sing, lead me to the cross. This may be a new song for some of us, but we're singing. Let's sing it and worship the Lord together today. Ladies, let's sing together.
pieces. I wanted to tell you about my testimony about tithing. Uh, I hope that all of you know that this is the holy word of God and what it says we are to do. God says that over and over. He tells us, read or listen and heed. So I would like to share with you a verse that has become very dear to my heart. Uh, I have known the verse, but I teach it in Bible drill very often now. We, they memorize it. And this is what God tells us, and it's a verse where he says, test me. Test me and see what I'm going to do. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, uh, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open up the heavens and pour out a blessing that you will not be able to receive. This is from Malachi 3.10, the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, my ties and testimony is that God has uh, blessed me immensely, just like it said, uh, he hasn't poured millions of dollars on me. No, I wasn't expecting that, but he has blessed me in so many ways. He's allowed many things in my life to way outlast uh, what anybody could ima imagine, like a 15-year-old car, uh, on the fact that I've only bought one dryer in my whole life. Uh, and I don't know anybody that has a roof that's over 30 years old that doesn't leak. Uh, uh, so I, God has blessed me, but his greatest blessing of all is I know that I'm obeying him and that he has blessed me with peace and joy in my heart because I know that he's obeying, I'm obeying him. And this is what he says. Uh, I, I'm uh, thankful for all the things that I have in my life. And I feel like that being thankful is what God wants us to do. His part is to supply the blessings to us. Our part is to be thankful for them. I wanted to tell you about how God used me to help someone else who is retiring and really didn't have the money to do it. And I can tell you to be used of God is a mighty thing. Uh, I was in my kitchen sleeping and I had a $100 bill in my pocket. And all of a sudden, God just put these thoughts in my mind and he said, uh, you know, I, I said, so-and-so, they are having a hard time with money. And I said, I bet they could use this $100. And so I called the people up and uh, I asked them to come over. I didn't tell them what I was given. I just gave them a Christmas card and uh, they left. And later that day, they came back to thank me. And it was just marvelous what I saw that God had done. Uh, the lady had been paying their bills that morning and she was debating about whether to tithe because they didn't have enough to pay the bills. She decided to go ahead and write her tithing check and see what happens. And in the meantime, God is working on me. And she told me that exactly what she lacked to pay her bills was $100. I think that's an awesome testimony to what God can do in our lives if we will allow him to. I would like to challenge everyone of you who are not tithing to take this verse into your life and to see, to test God and see what he will do. Isn't that a wonderful word? Give Madeline a hand for that. Thank you for being used by God, Madeline. Uh, Madeline called up and, and shared that testimony with me, and uh, we decided we definitely needed to share that with all of you. If you have a story like that, especially something that's just been happening recently where you've seen God move in your life, we want to be able to get that, record it, capture that. 
So that can encourage all of us to be faithful with what God's called us to do. We want to move now into a time of focused prayer uh, for this service and for our church. We try to do this about once a month. And if those of you on the ground level can join us in kneeling there in front of you, we want to focus on just asking God to bless and to guide us in the days to come. God's been doing wonderful things in our church, and I'm convinced he wants to continue to do wonderful things as well. So join me as we kneel and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your presence that's with us. We are grateful, God, that you are guiding us and that you are loving us. You are providing for us. And Lord, you know, we know that you have big plans in store for us. And God, we just want to center on your will for our lives today. God, today we're going to be talking about how you lead us and your leadership principles in our lives And so, God, at the beginning of this service, we want to just submit to you and ask you to guide us as our Lord, as our master, as our king. And so, Lord, we welcome you into this place. We welcome you into our lives. And we pray, Lord, that we would leave here today knowing that we've met with you and also having been obedient to you. So, God, whatever it is that you want us to do today, whatever decision it is you want us to make, Holy Spirit, be free to move and to speak to our hearts this morning. Challenge us, draw us close to yourself, and help us to be obedient in faith for your sake and for your glory. We thank you for this time of prayer. We thank you for this time of worship. And we pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people now as we celebrate you as our Lord and Master. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
praise God from whom all blessings flow. Stand and sing the doxology with us. Praise God from whom all
Let us pray together. A holy and loving Father, we rejoice today at who you are and your gracious care on our lives. Father, we rejoice at the privilege that we're able to gather here in this place of worship to truly worship you. Father, our calling is to bring honor and glory to your name, and our prayer is that we do that today as we worship, not only in song, but in giving. And that, Father, we pray that you take these gifts, multiply them, use them as only you can to further your kingdom's work, not only here in this body of Christ, but in our city and our state and even around the world. Father, we do pray this morning for those that are here that do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that as the Word is preached, and Father, we pray, we praise you for your Word. We pray that you will bless your Word as your messenger comes this morning to present it, that those that do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior will come to a saving knowledge of Him, that all of heaven will rejoice at the great victories won today. Father, we thank you again for your love for us and the way you manifest that love in our lives each and every day, for sending your Son, Jesus, down on the cross and shed his blood to cover our sins, that we may look forward with great joy in our hearts to eternity in your kingdom and your glory forever. For it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. was broken, mine was mended. He became sin, now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that held him set me free. His life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die, God's son would die? His scars of suffering brought me healing. He spilled his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. Mine, 
A young woman was excited about going to college, but her heart sank when she read one of the questions on the application. It asked, are you a leader? And as she looked at that question, knowing that colleges wanted students who were going to be leaders, she started to check yes, but then she realized, you know, I'm not captain of any team. I'm not president of any club. I'm not even on the leadership council for anything. I'm really just a follower. And so she checked, no. She returned the application to the college expecting the worst, knowing that colleges want to shape tomorrow's leaders. And so she was surprised when she received a letter in the mail that began this way. Dear applicant, a study of our application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> there are times when all of us must lead. My life centers on leadership. I'm a husband, therefore I'm to lead my wife. I am a father, so I should lead my boys. I'm a pastor, so I am called to lead this church. To fail to lead in those areas is to fail in those areas. They are my life calling, and you have similar callings, places and positions and areas where you must lead. And if you don't lead, the result could be disaster. But do you know something? If you aren't a good follower, you'll never be a good leader. Every leader must be a follower. So mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, teacher, administrator, principal, executive, manager, crew chief, uh, coach, deacon, whatever your leadership task, 
For you to lead effectively, you must be a good follower. Sometimes we become so focused on leading that we forget that our first responsibility is to be a follower. And the one that you must follow and that I must follow is Almighty God. Other than our salvation, our greatest need is to be led by God. Please turn in your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. If you haven't done that already, we're in a series entitled, First Words, Seeing God's Words for the First Time. And we're looking at the first time some different words appear in Scripture and kind of gleaning some lessons from those. And today, we're encountering the word, lead. As we open the Bible to Exodus chapter 13, we fast-forwarded in the Bible story some 400 years since last Sunday. So if it seemed like a long week to you, well, it's been 400 years. And during that time, the descendants of Joseph and his 11 brothers, who were only 70 people total when we last left them, have multiplied considerably. Now, there were hundreds of thousands of Israelites. And because there were so many Israelites, when a certain Pharaoh came to power who did not know Joseph, he became intimidated by the vast size of them and worried that the Hebrews might band together and overthrow the Egyptians. Therefore, to control them, he put the Israelites into slavery. But they continued to multiply. So he became angry and he made policies to try to prevent them from having more children. But that didn't work as well. So finally he said he wanted every child, every male baby boy thrown into the Nile River. But God spared one boy. His mom didn't toss him into the Nile River. She put him in a basket and put him in the Nile River and he floated right to Pharaoh's daughter where he was raised. And years later, after a sequence of, a sequence of amazing events, God called Moses to go to Pharaoh and to tell him to let my people go. And finally, after a series of ten devastating plagues on Egypt, Pharaoh relented and he let them go. And that's where we pick up the story today in Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. And let's begin reading with just the first few verses when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So, God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. There was a company who once hired a consultant to teach them about selecting a good leader, looking for the right people to place in leadership positions. And so to help them, this consultant said, I, I want you to imagine that you were on that first cruise of the Titanic and you've hit the iceberg, the Titanic is sinking, but you have made it to one of the lifeboats. But it's dark, it's dreary, 
You don't know which way to go. How do you steer that lifeboat? He let him think a minute. And then he said, okay, same scenario. On the Titanic, it's sinking. You make it to a lifeboat. It's dark, murky, all of that kind of stuff. But now you discover that in your lifeboat is the ship's navigator. Who are you going to listen to to tell you which way to go? Won't you follow what the navigator who is trained to do this tells you to do? And everybody kind of said, yeah, that, that's what we do. We'd find the right person. And one old guy in the back wave where he raised his hand, he said, I don't know, sir. He said, uh, that fella already hit one iceberg. <laughs> you see, sometimes the most logical thing may seem to be following human navigation. But we tend to hit icebergs. The best leader for our lives is God. And verse 17 is the first appearance in the Bible of that word lead. And this passage tells us an awful lot about God's leadership style. The first truth that we see is that God leads us the best way, not the easiest way. Look again at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. If we look at a map, we can easily see that there was a direct route from Egypt to Canaan. It's highlighted in the red footprints on the map. It was a direct route. Furthermore, this route ran through more arable land. So there would be food and there would be water available for hundreds of thousands of people traveling. In addition, because this route was rather arable and close to the sea and it had become a well-traveled military trade and, and trade route. So it would seem the best Way, the obvious way a person would lead hundreds of thousands of people from Egypt to Canaan. Take the most direct route. Unfortunately, while that direct route seemed best, there were a couple of important problems on this route, especially for Israelites who were fleeing Egypt. First, that route was heavily guarded by Egypt. In fact, historical documents have revealed that Egyptian guards kept careful records of the arrivals and departures through this area. So if Pharaoh ever changed his mind, which of course we know he later does, and decided he wanted to get the Hebrews back, all he would have to do is send word and his armies could quickly round up the Hebrews and bring them right back to Egypt. The second problem with this route was that it went right through Philistine territory. And the Philistines would not be favorable to hundreds of thousands of people moving through their land. No doubt, hostilities would occur. So God did not lead the Hebrews on that road. God didn't want his people to face problems with the Egyptians or the Philistines so soon after leaving Egypt. God knew that if they faced military struggle, 
They could not fight the Egyptians or the Philistines. They would be right back in Egypt or destroyed. The NIV translation, which I use, is, a, is, is not the best at the end of verse 18. It's a little misleading because it says, the Israelites went out, up out of Egypt armed for battle. The Hebrew really says something more of like uh, organized in a military fashion or in an orderly fashion. So this is not a statement about the Hebrews being ready for war as much as it is a statement that they were organized to go on this journey. There was no way in the world that these former recently freed slaves had ever been trained in army, nor could they face organized armies like the Philistines and the Egyptians had. And... These Hebrews had not been walking with God long enough to know and to learn that he could fight their battles for them. And so, God knew that if the Egyptians or the Philistines even smiled crooked at the Hebrews, that they would give up and they would run back to Egypt. And God's pretty much right about their attitude, isn't he? If you've read ahead in the story, in their journeys the Israelites end up griping about everything and longing for slavery in Egypt. God never did things soon enough. Or he never did things the way they wanted them to do. They get hungry and God gives them manna. And after a few days they say, we want a different recipe. We're tired of this stuff. We want to go back to Egypt into slavery where we had all kinds of wonderful things to eat. A problem comes up and they think it's the end of the world. It's gripe and complain and moan and groan. And so God did not lead them along the route where they would face sure and immediate opposition. Instead, he led them around by the desert toward the Red Sea. It's interesting that this is the first time the word leads appears in Scripture because I smile when I read, but God did not lead them along the way even though it seemed the shortest because that's just like God, isn't it? In your experience with him, God leads us the best way, but certainly not always the easiest way. Sometimes his way may even seem like the wrong way, right? But it is the right way. Like with the Israelites, what appears to be best, easiest, and most logical to us may actually be the wrong way. We don't know that, but God does. Because he sees everything at once. He has that big vision. He knows that if we go down that particular path, that we will face things that we cannot handle. And so therefore, he leads us around another path. For the Israelites... God protected them by not leading them along the route through Philistine country. Now, did that mean the other way was easier? No, not at all, but it was better. It wasn't better in terms of ease of travel because that other route, that Philistine route was well-traveled. It was a, a good trade route. It was a military route. It had everything a group would need traveling, but the route that God selected would require them crossing the Red Sea without a bridge 
and traversing an area that one person described as this, a wild waste of sand and rocks, a labyrinth of twisted wadis amid huge mountains in a region consisting chiefly of bare granite and sandstone rocks. If you took your kids on vacation there, they would be asking, when can we go home? So why did God lead them on this route? To prevent them from encountering the Philistines and Egyptians for sure, but there was more to it than that. This route was better, not just because it took them away from powerful armies. It was better because it led them to their powerful God. You see, this would be a route where God would be able to show his glory and the Israelites would have time to learn to depend upon his protection and promise. What would you want more? To walk with ease for a while but be overtaken by a powerful army? Or would you want to walk with a little bit of challenge but know that you are being led by a powerful God? I'll take option B. And I'm sure you would too. And we might as well because that's the one God's going to lead us on anyway. He leads us down the path where we can experience him the most. God's plan may not seem the best, but he never hits icebergs. God always leads us in the best way, not necessarily the easiest way. Well, now we come to verses 20 to 22, which tell us how God led the people. Look down at verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What an amazing and impressive sight this column of fire and cloud must have been. And what an incredible encouragement to the people it must have been. The provision was unique and it was perfectly fitted for their need. I mean, the, God provided something large enough to be seen by this huge, enormous mass of people during the day and something bright enough to light up all of their camps at night. You know, columns of fire and cloud don't normally appear, nor do they last for years on end. But this one did. It was always there as a reminder of God's presence and a tool for his leadership. Though God himself was unseen, his presence was within that pillar of fire, that pillar of cloud. And so the pillar of fire and cloud was the manifest Shekinah glory of God. It was the same glory of God, the same manifest presence that had appeared to Moses there at the burning bush. It's the same manifest presence that settled in on the tabernacle and settled then later into the temple. It said, God is here with you. And that gives us another truth about God's leadership style, and that is God leads personally. He leads personally. It is the Lord who went ahead of him. Notice that in verse 21, the word Lord is in all caps. That's the English translator's way of translating the personal name of God, Yahweh. At the burning bush, God had met Moses personally. 
And while at the burning bush, God had said, what if they ask me what God sent you? What is your name? And God tells Moses his personal name is Yahweh. And it's interesting, if you look back at Exodus 3 where that conversation takes place, until that point, when we're reading the story, it's God said to Moses or Moses said to God. There, and God there's translating the most generic name for God, Elohim, which is just like our word God, which is the most generic name for God. But as soon as God says, my name is Yahweh, the text changes to the Lord said to Moses and Moses said to the Lord. You see, that encounter there was a personal encounter. That little change of wording communicates a big change in relationship. God was not just a generic God. He was Yahweh who was personal and became personal to Moses. God wants to be personal to you as well. He wants a personal relationship. God always leads us personally. He did so 3,500 years ago in the deserts of Sinai, and he does so today. Now, you might say, how does God lead us personally? I have never seen a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, though that sure would be convenient. And, and if you tell me that you've seen a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night, you've been smoking something yourself. No one's seen that today. We would love to. Wouldn't that be nice if you're like, God, I don't know which way to go. Go this way. Okay, I'll go that way. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That would be, thank you for being so clear. But look, we think that's a distinct advantage they have. But you know something? God still leads personally today. And we have something greater today than they had. Actually, a couple of things greater. The first is we have the Holy Spirit. Not out in front of us, not behind us, but if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You don't have to look ahead. You don't have to look behind. You just have to look inside. And the Holy Spirit is there whispering to us, speaking guidance to us. He warns us when we are tempted. Danger, danger. And he convicts us if we fall to that temptation so that we can repent of that sin and be forgiven by God. He prompts us to do the things God wants us to do. He encourages us when we're down. And through his spirit, God guides us to certain places or encourages us to reach out in prayer for a particular person. He illuminates a passage of Scripture so that meets our time of need, or he helps us see someone's inspirational Scripture post on social media at just the right time when we need to see it. He puts us in the right place at the right time to minister to someone. Friends, that is the leadership of God personally in your life. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. But God also has another way he guides us today, his word. Remember, the Israelites didn't have the Bible. They'd only lived through this much of it. So even if they told Bible stories, that's all they had. But we have thousands of years of God's interaction with people. We have his perfect and complete plan of what he was doing in the world and what he has done in the world, even looking all the way into the future to his ultimate victory. And so the Bible is a personal pillar that God guides us through. 
We have him personally through the Holy Spirit. We have him personally through his word. This word is full of instruction and wisdom and examples and all kinds of stuff. It's as clear or clearer than those pillars if we will just look to it for guidance. At times we might wish for that visible pillar, but God has given us more. God still leads us personally. Personally, He is a hands-on God. And because He is so personal, we don't get a generic plan. We get a personalized leadership plan. And that leads us to our next truth, that God adjusts His lead to our need. In the day, God led by a cloud... That cloud could be easily seen against the sky. That cloud could even go over the camp and provide shade if they needed that as the people journeyed through the desert. By night, God led by a pillar of fire. If the desert night became too cold, there could be warmth provided by the pillar of fire. If the Israelites needed to set out at night and journey as many nomadic peoples did at the time, that pillar was there to light their way. If they needed to be protected from behind, the pillar went behind them. If it need, they needed to be led from the front, it went out front. God adjusted his lead to their need, and the same is true for us. There are times when God needs to enlighten us, to help us learn the truths from his word that help us make a new step in our lives. At other times, God protects us because we need that protection. I'm convinced that we'll never know until we get to heaven all the times things would have happened to us if we had gone a certain way, if God hadn't led us in a different direction, or if God hadn't delayed us a little bit before we got somewhere. Wherever our need, whatever our need, God adjusts his lead to it. God is all-sufficient so he can adjust to any need we have. God is all-powerful, so he can meet any need that we have. God is all-knowing, so he knows every need that we have. If you want good leadership, follow God because he adjusts his lead to your need. And then there's another comforting point that we see in this passage, and that is that God always leads. He never leaves. The pillar of cloud or fire was always there. In fact, Nehemiah, years later, tells us that the pillar of fire did not depart as long as the people were journeying. Though it doesn't state it specifically, Numbers 9 says a similar thing. When an Israelite went into his tent at night, before he closed the flap, he could look out and see that pillar of fire. When he woke up the next morning and he stepped out of his tent, he could see that pillar of cloud. Every single night and every single day, he knew God was there. As best we can determine, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire by day was with the Israelites from this day in Exodus 13 and through the next 40 years until the people finally entered the promised land. God didn't even apparently take it away when they rebelled against him and were being punished in those 40 years of wilderness wanderings. However, since there is no mention of the pillar of the cloud in the book of Joshua, we assume it departed as they began the conquest of the land. And I think the reason that God could finally remove that visible form 
is that in the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, in that journey from Egypt through the wanderings and then to the edge of the promised land, they had learned that God was always with them and that God was always leading them. But that second generation didn't need a visible reminder. But until then, the Israelites only needed to look up ahead and they could see the pillar of cloud and fire and be reminded, God is with us. That pillar told the people one thing, God always leads, he never leaves. And we have that same promise. When Jesus delivered the Great Commission, do you remember what he said at the end? I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. God always leads, he never leaves. There's no part in life from which he withdraws himself. We need him in good times, and we need him in bad times. We need him at both of those times. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I know we, we, in the bad times we, we need him, but I think we need him more in the good times than we do the bad times because when the bad times come, we instinctively run to him like scared little kids. But in the good times, we run away from him like excited little kids. We need God's leadership, though, at both times of life, in the good times and in the bad times. And at both of those times, he is there. He always leads. He never leaves. Though the pillar of cloud and fire eventually left, and we don't get to have that today, the pillars of God's word and his spirit never leave. Uh, through the pillars of his word and his spirit, God remains exceedingly faithful to us. And he remains extremely personal and present with us. He provides for us and he guides us day and night. We only need to look to him. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us no matter what. Read his word. Listen to his spirit. He is faithful. A few people have ever heard the name of Pastor George Young. Few people knew him in his day either. He was an obscure preacher who pastored mostly small rural churches. And he spent his lifetime humbly serving God, hardly ever having more than a couple of pennies to rub together. Often the salary was very meager. Life was difficult for he and his family. But eventually, through it all, they were able to save up enough money to build a home for themselves with their own hands. They're very proud of that, thinking that, you know, their, their joy is finally complete. Their ministry has been good. Their family's been taken care of. They've been faithful to God. But unfortunately, while Pastor Young was away preaching in another area, some people who didn't like the gospel he was preaching set fire to their little house and burned the family's home to the ground, leaving it in only a heap of ashes. Out of that tragic experience... George Young began reflecting upon God's leadership and how God leads us sometimes through difficult times and sometimes through good times. And he began writing out a poem, which we now know as a song that goes this way. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet. God leads his dear children along. 
Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his children along. Sometimes in the valley, in darkest of night, God leads his dear children along. Though sorrows befall us and evils oppose us, God leads his dear children along. Through grace we can conquer and defeat all our foes. God leads his dear children along. Away from the mire, away from the clay, God leads his dear children along. Away up in glory to eternity's day, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song. In the night season and all the day long, God leads his dear children along. Is he leading you along today? Maybe you're in a night season and you need his guidance. Maybe you're in the daytime and you need his guidance. You come to that relationship of guidance in the same way everybody does. That is to submit to him as your leader. We do that by reminding ourselves that there's no way we can take care of us on our own. We must repent of our sins. We must turn our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to save us as our Savior, but then lead us as our Lord. We come to know him personally in a personal relationship, and then he can take us and he can lead us in the way that he wants us to go. Have you made that decision for Christ? Have you followed him with your life? If you haven't, I encourage you to make that decision today to come and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make that step. Make that commitment today so he can lead you along the way as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our Lord. We thank you for the way that you lead us in our life. Help us to be obedient to your leadership at this time in this place as we follow your will. In Jesus' name, amen.